Thank you, Pastor Handsome. So great to be with you today. We're going to be starting a series on the book of Malachi. I don't know if many of you have actually read that book. It's a, a short book, four chapters only, right at the end of the Old Testament. It, it closes off God's journey with Israel. And the interesting thing about it is after Malachi, the God seems to apparently go silent for 400 years. And then right after those 400 years, he starts again with the powerful intervention of an angel appearing and declaring the coming of the Messiah. But this book of Malachi is a startling book, uh, a book that contains some truths that will help you to endure through difficult times, and it's a book that really um, sets the scene for the coming of Jesus. So we're going to spend some time um, preaching through that book, and I know that it's going to bless you, and I know that it's going to help you with some, some struggles in your life and with some ways of looking at life and with some victories in your life. So Lord, I just pray that as we go through this book, that your spirit would rest upon us, Lord God, as we preach today and as we talk about this book, Lord God, that they would hear more than my words, they would hear you speaking to their souls, Lord God, that Father God, truth would come in their inner beings, Lord God, that, that where there are places of doubt or insecurity, Lord God, you would come and speak your truth, where there are places that need comfort and refreshing, Lord God, would you come and speak your truth, Lord God, I pray that everyone here everyone here would find themselves closer to you, more understanding of your ways, and more empowered to move in the things that they are meant to. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. So we are starting with the book of Malachi, and Malachi simply means the messenger, or a messenger. And so we're not entirely sure if this was the prophet's real name as he gave the book of Malachi, as he preached or spoke the book of Malachi or wrote the book of Malachi. We're not sure if it was his real name or not, but certainly he was called the messenger because he was bringing a message. And so the book of Malachi is uh, written in an interesting time in Israel's history. So what had happened is that Israel had, or Judah, should I say rather, the southern part of Israel, had been taken into captivity because they had disobeyed God. And so the nation of Babylon had come and taken over, over Judah and Jerusalem, had burnt Jerusalem to the ground, taken all the people into captivity. And after they had been there for a certain amount of time, the kings of Babylon one after the other began to release the nation back to Jerusalem and to the land of Judah. And so they came back in three successive waves. They came back under the leadership of Zerubbabel. They came back under the leadership of Ezra. And they came back under the leadership of Nehemiah. And under Zerubbabel, they had come back and they had rebuilt the, the temple, the pride of Israel. And under Nehemiah and Ezra, they had rebuilt the wall around the city and they had reestablished Jerusalem as a glorious city in that region. And you would think after this time that perhaps Israel would be feeling quite happy with themselves. Here they were, they'd come back to their nation of origin. They had reestablished their presence here. They'd rebuilt this magnificent temple. They had reestablished Jerusalem as a glorious city. And you'd think they would be feeling quite good about themselves. Well, it turns out they weren't. Because 
There had been prophets around the time that they were doing all the rebuilding that had stated things about if they, if they were diligent to do all that God had said for them, that God would come and inhabit the, these buildings with his glory and his presence. One of these prophets was Haggai, and he wrote this. He said, this is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while. I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So, so these Jewish men and women, they had been rebuilding, working, laboring, sacrificing because they had an expectation that if they just did this, God's presence was going to descend. God's glory was going to come. He was going to fill the, the temple and all nations around were going to say, ah, God has chosen Israel. They built it and guess what happened? Nothing. No glory came, no lightning bolts, no angels. It just was a building. And something in their hearts was desperately disappointed. And some of them were even doubting God. And there, instead of excitement and celebration, there was this general feeling of depression and apathy. We did our part and God didn't do his part. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like, I've just been following God, doing what he says, but, but where are his promises? Where are the things he said he would do? And if you've ever been in that place, and I think we all have from time to time, this is the book for you because God has some answers. And the book of Malachi starts like this. It starts with the statement, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. That word oracle there means literally a burden. This is the burden of Malachi that he was carrying for the nation of Israel. Whenever, that was not whenever it was used, but the majority of times it was used in the Old Testament. A rebuke from God was coming straight after it. So these prophets came and they said, I have this burden or this oracle from God and all of the nation trembled. Oh no, now we're going to get it. And so Malachi starts his book or his oration and he says this, this is an oracle, the word of the Lord through Malachi to Israel. And I, I can just imagine the, all of the Israelites standing in front of Malachi and trembling in their boots. Oh my gosh, what are we going to hear? And God responds, I have loved you says the Lord. Completely contrary to their expectations, there is this declaration of God's love. I have loved you, says the Lord. And the tense that that sentence is, is in literally means that I have been loving you. I have loved you. I am loving you. I'm continuing to love you. Look through your history and see how I have loved you. An interesting phenomenon of the Bible in general is that God equates him loving us with him choosing us. He doesn't have to be with us. He doesn't need us. But his love compels us to choose us. Compels him to choose us.
So I have loved you, says the Lord. And then Israel, obviously were responding in their hearts to this. And God, seeing their hearts, responds like this. But you ask, how have you loved us? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever... God, you know, you read there how God loves you. He'll never leave you. How nothing can take you out of the palm of his hand. How he's, you sheltered under the shadow of his wings. You're reading that and you're saying, how God, how have you loved me? Have you seen my life? Have you seen what's going on? Have you seen my struggles? God, how have you loved me? And really it's a cry from Israel's heart. We were expecting something. You promised something. Now you say uh, you loved us, but we're sitting here disappointed. We're sitting here with the expectations unmet. God, how have you loved us? As I said, Malachi is filled with startling statements. And the next statement or the response from God certainly startles me. When I first read it some years back, it literally took my breath away. I was like, God, there's got to be more than the surface reading of this because this is incredible. He responds and he says this. Was not Esau's, Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. How do you feel after that? I'm like, my first question is, God, am I Jacob or Esau? And I have turned this mount, his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom, which is another word for Esau, it was the nation that Esau founded. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will re rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, you may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. <sighs> okay, let's all take a deep breath. Israel I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What is God saying? God is saying, I came and I made a covenant with your father Isaac. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. And he said, I made a covenant with your father Isaac. And Jacob chose the covenant and Esau chose his own way. I chose you, but only Jacob chose me in return. He's talking about a covenant of love. He's talking about a place where God is committed to loving us even when we mess up. A place where he is determined, he's committed, and he's promised to love us. Jacob and Esau, as I said, were twins. Esau was the older twin, and so he got, by virtue of being older, he got a lot more privileges than Jacob. And he one day was out hunting, and he came back, and Jacob had made a lentil stew. Guys, a lentil stew. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, this, this is not um, creme brulee's or steak tartare. You know, it's, this is lentil stew. And Esau says, 
I am so hungry. I tell you what, I'm the oldest. I have a birthright. I get a double portion. Jacob, you can have my birthright. Just give me some of your stew. What was he saying? God invited me into a covenant of love, but I'm not interested. I'd rather have lentil stew. Jacob, on the other hand, he wasn't a nice guy. He's not the kind of guy you ever want to do business with. He was sly. He was conniving. He twisted things for his own advantage. But he said, oh, my word, I want this covenant of love. I will do whatever it takes to be in covenant with God. So he took the birthright. And then later on, Esau did a similar, well, Esau and Jacob had a similar interaction where um, Jacob actually stole the blessing of the oldest from Esau. And so in the end, what we see is we see a picture of a man, Jacob, who will do whatever it takes to be with God. He made some mistakes, don't get me wrong, there, there were other ways of doing it. But God saw his heart and he said, this man wants me. And then he saw Esau, who, who really seemed to be so flippant about it. It's like, lentil stew, God's blessing. Which one should I take? Okay, lentil stew. And he says, Jacob, I have loved. Jacob, I have loved. This great covenant that God has made with his people, made with his people, and how is now made with us through Jesus Christ. It's talked about in Psalm 25 verse 10. It says, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. There's a really great scripture in 2 Timothy 2 from 11 to 13, and it's talking about really, well, it was a saying, should I say, that was said when people were about to be baptized. It was kind of like a, a hymn or a saying or a, a little speech that they did as they were baptizing the people in those days. And it goes like this. Um, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And Paul, the apostle who wrote this, is saying to Timothy that if we, seeing what Jesus did, and seeing that through that, he was choosing us, reaching out to us. And we turn around and say, yes, I want to be identified with your death and resurrection. Saying, yes, then, then you will be included in the covenant and you will live with him. You will live with him. Saying, if we endure, if, if we stand fast to the promises, we will reign with him. If even when we don't see what we were expecting, we, we will find ourselves in that time of waiting, being strengthened, God coming and changing us, and we will find ourselves able to reign with him when the promises do come. You know what I often think? Is I often think that, that what we are reaching out for God, for, from God, if, if it's delaying in coming, then my guess is that you've been asking too small. 
That you've, you've been looking for something on the horizon when God wants to give you a skyscraper of a hundred stories high. And looking out for the, for the all you can believe in God, from God is keeping your eyes on things too small. Because Israel at that time was, was asking for this kind of manifestation of some kind of glory in their temple and it wasn't coming and they were getting discouraged. But God wasn't looking for just some kind of puff of smoke to happen in the temple. When he was promising that he was going to come and fill the temple, he was talking about Jesus. He was talking that there would come a time. He was saying, you build this temple, you restore Jerusalem, and I promise you my Messiah will walk into it. He will take a step over that threshold. And he will not only bring my glory into that temple, but he will put my glory in you. And you will be spread out for the, to the four corners of the world. And my glory will be spread over the earth through you. They were asking down here when God wanted to give them up here. And here he's saying, in, the, in Timothy he's saying, if you endure with me, if you work through the tough times and in the waiting and you allow me to do the work in your heart, you will become the kind of people that will indeed carry my promises. You will indeed reign with me. Oh, what happened? Oh, okay. Great. And then, then it says, if you deny me, I will deny you. And that means if, if, you, if I reach out and choose you, and you say, no, I'm the kind of God that will respect you enough to say, have what you want. But the last line of that scripture, which has now slipped my mind and I can't see it on the screen, is that if we, it's going to take a while to boot up. Sammy, can you just find it for me? If, if you are faithless, thank you. If you are faithless, I will still be faithful. God, this is such a powerful thing. What it means is that, that if you choose me, if you say yes to my covenant of love and you live in my covenant of love, even when you mess up, even when you make mistakes, even when you're not able to do it right, or even when you misunderstand, I will be faithful to you because I cannot deny myself, he says. I cannot deny myself. Once, a little while back, I went out to coffee with a friend at a coffee shop and we had the most amazing piece of carrot cake. It was just really, really great. Came to the end of the coffee, went to my handbag to get my purse out and to my horror discovered that I'd left my purse at home. Has it ever happened to you? You start sweating, you know, it's like, <laughs> what are they gonna do, throw me in jail? I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this, what's gonna happen? So I went to the lady and I told her I'd left my purse at home and I said, I will come back and pay. And you could see this look in her eyes, like rolling her eyes and just, you know, yeah, yeah, I've heard this story before. So in my handbag, I did find my ID book. And I went to her and I handed her my ID book and I said, here's my ID book as proof that I will come back and pay. Please let me out of this coffee shop to go and get my purse. So I left my ID book with her and I went and obviously got my purse, came back to retrieve my ID book. But, but what I had actually done is I'd given her something of value to me and said, this is a guarantee that I'm coming back. This is a guarantee that I'm going to fulfill my promise. You can know I will because you're holding my ID book. I want to come back. And there's something about the, the and the nature of God that when he came and you got, you got born again, you got added to the kingdom, what did he do? <laughs> oh, 
Oh, my password. <laughs> okay, everyone turn to your neighbor and tell them how great they are. Can you do that? we go. Oh, now we've got all kinds of things coming up. <coughs> okay, you're going to have to turn to them all and tell them how good God is now. back together. You're focused again. Fantastic. So, so what God did when you got born again is that he made you some credible promises. He promised that he would set the world right. He promised that he would make, put all things back in order. He promised that he would remove all sickness and disease. He promised that he would establish his rule and reign over the entire earth. How do we know he's going to do that? How do we know? He made you a guarantee. What did he do? He came and he put his presence inside of you. Now he can never deny you. He can never be faithless to you. Why? Because he's in you. He's made you a promise that he cannot deny. Something that has set my heart at ease. Remember I said to you when I read that statement that Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. I mean, I just, that Esau, the Jacob I've loved is amazing and fantastic. That Esau I've hated, it just, it just leaves me with a hole in my heart. I'm like, ah, oh, oh, God, you know. Soul healing on Saturday. Um, <laughs> saying I, could, I should come to soul healing on Saturday and get rid of that hole, hole in my heart. But there is, there is a scripture that thrills me. When Esau, or the nation of Edom, moved away from God. God indeed did have them dispossessed. So in other words, another nation came and took, took over the land. They, they had to flee and they became a nomadic people that lived in an area called Idumea. You don't have to remember that name, but just remember it for a short time. Because then in the book of Mark, Mark 3 verse 8, it makes this powerful statement. It says, Jesus, when they heard all Jesus was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. My heart feels happy again. Because even though Esau, Edom, had rejected God, and they had suffered the consequences of that, God who is merciful, gracious, the God of all compassion had made a way 
for that very nation to be brought back into the covenant of love through Jesus Christ. And here we see that very nation that God said he hated being drawn back into the covenant that he had made with Israel. That he had chosen Jacob, not just for Jacob. He had chosen Jacob for you and for me and for all of us to bring all of us into a covenant that could not be broken, that he cannot deny. So the first part of this story or this passage in Malachi really is about this covenant of love that cannot be broken. He begins with that and says, come and and live in this covenant of love. And then he says, out of that covenant of love, believe it or not, we are going to create something. We're going to create a culture. And he goes on and talks about it in a bit of a rebuking tone, but nonetheless, let's read it from verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Your place And then he says, you place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you should shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Can you hear God's irritation by any chance? Does it show a little bit? You know, there are two ways or two reasons we have for honoring God. And God's speaking about these. He says, first, I'm a father. What does that mean? It means that I love you, that I give you identity, that I nurture you, that I'm the, the strong protector and as all fathers deserve honor from their children by virtue of the love and the, and the leadership they give to the family, so give me honor. And then he goes on and he says, but you know what? I'm not just a father. I'm a master. I'm the creator of the universe. One blast of my nostrils and all this universe is gone. I created everything from nothing. I am the master and the creator of all. All of this gives me allegiance. All of this is accountable to me. I know how it was meant to be. I know why I made it. Therefore, you give me honor by virtue of the fact that I'm in charge. And he says, Israel, for neither of these two reasons, or always ignoring these two reasons, should I say, and he's not giving him honor. And he's saying, but this covenant of love is meant to operate in a certain way. You know, love looks like something. If Andrew says he loves me, but he never talks to me, you know, I'm, I'm going to question that. Or if he says he loves me and he's never home, you know, I'm going to question that. Because why? Love looks like something. It has actions. And it creates a culture. And, and the culture or the actions of, of the covenant of love are really a culture of honor. Yeah. How would you feel if your neighbor came over one day with a gift for you? Well, first of all, let me preface it with this. 
Have you ever had a vase of flowers in your house that you left there for four weeks? They started off beautiful. After four weeks, they all wilted over and they dead. And so what if this neighbor came around to your house and in his hand he was carrying a bunch of wilted dead flowers? And he said, Here's the g- I found these in my lounge. Here's a gift for you. How honored would you feel? I mean, I mean you would... You would perhaps never want to speak to that neighbor again. It would not be a pleasant experience. But this is what Israel was doing. They were looking at their flocks and they were finding, oh, look, that diseased one over there, I can't sell him. So I'm going to give him to God. You know, these, these clothes in my cupboard, the ones with the holes that I'm just going to throw away, I'm going to give those, I'm going to, give those to someone. You know, it's like finding the stuff that you can do nothing else with and, oh, Just give the leftovers to God. And God was saying, come now, come now. I've given everything, all of who I am to you. I have made available all of my grace, all of my power, all of my blessing. And in return, you just give me this stuff. And and what's worse is that you parade yourself in front of everyone like, like you're giving your best. There's a story in the book of Mark. Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's watching everyone come and give their offerings. And the religious people, the, the kind of elite of society walk up and they, they're putting amounts in there that are quite large, but they're letting everyone see how much they're giving. Quite proud of it. And then this widow comes along and she takes two small coins out of her bag and she drops them in and my guess is she was a little bit ashamed you know in in light of what everyone else is giving this just doesn't seem much and Jesus commends her and says this woman is the one who really brought glory to me this is the woman who really honored me this is the woman who really is giving her all why because she wasn't giving out of her abundance she was giving out of her lack she was taking everything she had and giving it to me why because she trusts God she knows that she is incapable of winning the victories that she feels in her heart on her own and she knows that the meager things she have are, has are not good enough to win the victories that she's desiring And so she's saying, let me bring all I have to my father that he might turn it into something glorious. These other people sure of their own abilities. Let me give you the leftovers. I'm pretty sure I can make it with this rest. And God's saying, honor, honor in the kingdom looks like everything in. I'm giving my all. I'm not leaving anything out. I don't have a plan B. It's mean everything that I am, everything I have is at your disposal, God, but I can trust you. I know that you're good, so I know that as I do that, you will make it into something, into something that glorifies you, that brings your kingdom, that makes, makes your ways and your will come in this environment. The book goes on, 
And it says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. He finishes this off. He says, Israel, I have loved you. I have made a covenant of love with you. I'm not going to reject you or turn my back on you. But in this covenant of love, there is an expectation of a culture of honor. There's an expectation that as I give all all of who I am to you, that you would give all of who you are to me. And in this place where this culture of honor is cultivated, that out of that there comes a certainty of outcome. In other words, I will be praised among the nations. My glory will rest on the earth. All of the nations will bow to me. They will be my will and way demonstrated in the courts, in the schools, in society, in the family. They will be my glory covering the earth from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, from east to west, north to south, in every place. If you come into my covenant of love, if you live in a culture of honor, there is a certainty of outcome. And it answers every aspiration of your heart. The book of Revelation was written to a persecuted church. John, the apostle, wrote it to a church that's being persecuted in the most horrific ways. Tortured, burnt, fed to lions. And he says... Don't worry. There is a certainty of outcome coming. You stay with Jesus. You stay in that covenant. You live in that place of life and honor towards God. There is a certainty of outcome. He says just before this verse I've put on the screen, he says, the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ, the kingdom of our Lord of Christ. He talks about the time when when everything that we see will be in a place of glorifying God. And he says, so he's prophesying and he's talking and he's looking at that future event and he says, which will be the people who will usher this in? Who will be the people who will stand in this place of victory? He says, it's these people, those that overcame him by the blood of the lamb. In other words, they were in the covenant of love. They had chosen Jesus. When he reached out and chose them, he, they had said, I choose you back. By the word of their testimony, in other words, unashamedly speaking of what God had done in their hearts and in the earth. And lastly, they did not live their li- live their, love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, they were all in. Everything. Guys, whether I live or die, I'm doing this. Whether people like me or don't like me, I'm doing this. Whether I'm ridiculed or praised, I'm doing this. Whether I'm wealthy or poor, I'm doing this. I'm all in. While I was doing this research for this sermon, I came across this guy. His name is Janani Luam, and he lived from 1922 to 1977. But from 1944 to 1977, he was the art, 1977, he was the 1974, sorry, to 1977, he was the bishop, the archbishop of Uganda. 
perhaps you know your history, your African history or not, but that was the time that Idi Amin was president of Uganda. And the church was undergoing some of the most horrific persecutions. If you know about that time, he was a despot and frightfully cruel to his opposition. Terrible stories were circulated of even him eating human flesh, whether that's true or not, I'm not entirely sure, but clearly he was not a man that was very nice to have over for dinner. He was, he was wreaking havoc on that nation. Corruption was rife. And the reason he was only, Archbishop Janani was only Archbishop for three years, is that he stood up and he spoke to power. He spoke to the powerful president and he said, this is no way to treat your nation. He stood up and declared that, that power should be used to help people, to defend the innocent, to take care of the vulnerable. He stood up and he said, the fact that Christians are disappearing all over the show is not right. This is not the right way to lead a nation. And guess what? He was invited over to dinner to Idi Amin's house. He was asked to confess to all kinds of terrible, um, uh, terrible things, which he had not done. And then him and two other pe people, dissidents, were killed in a car accident. But when the body was returned to the family, it was riddled with bullets. This was a man that said, Jesus gave everything for me. I'm going to give everything for, me, for him. This man who stood and said, this is... God has made some promises. I'm going to believe them. I'm going to live in a covenant of honor. I'm going to give him my best part. I'm going to give you some really great statistics. On the back of this man, that's him on the right. He's been honored as one of the martyrs of the faith at Westminster Abbey. That's a statue of him among with, along with many other martyrs that fill that wall. That's a picture of him when he was ministering. But on the back of his martyrdom and so many that have stood up in Africa and proclaimed the truth. Did you know that today Africa contains the most number of evangelical Christians out of any continent in the world? Do you know that the church is growing faster in Africa than it is growing in any other continent in the world? Why? Because when God's people choose to live in his covenant of love, when they choose to cultivate a culture of honor, there is a certainty of outcome. There is, there is a certainty that God's glory will rise over this continent, that from the east to the west, from the north to the south, his glory will arise, that there will be a time when every institution, every nation bows their knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is a certainty of outcome. God has promised, and even though we are faithless, he cannot deny himself. He is placed inside of his people, his presence, and he will answer. Our victory begins when we refuse to be impressed with the size of our problems and choose to become impressed with the size of our God. Amen.
We live in a covenant of love. We cultivate a culture of honor. And there is a certainty of outcome. Lord, we want to thank you that you are are good enough, glorious enough, big enough, amazing enough to accomplish everything. Father God, right now I pray for everyone here. Father God, I pray that your presence would come and rest upon them, your glory would rest upon them, that you would be known in the the secret places of their hearts, Lord. I I feel like God wants wants to pray for you or wants to deposit in each of you a gift of encouragement. Many of you, you're facing situations where you, you feel like you've done your part and God seems slow in coming through to answer. And I feel like God wants to come and encourage you and tell you, stay with me, honor me, and there is a certainty of outcome. There is a victory that cannot be stopped. There's a victory so much larger, larger than anything you've actually expected. That you expected to build build a building, but I am building a kingdom. So Father God, I just pray for each person here. I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you mind just raising your hands as a sign of you receiving something from God? Lord God, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come now. And you'd fill each person here with a, a gift of an encouragement, a download of encouragement, courage, Lord God, to walk in your ways, to follow you. I ask for a gift of faith right now in every heart, Lord God, the ability to know that you are really true, the ability to know that you will do what you said you will do, Lord God. Father God, a stubborn unwillingness to do anything else but God's will. In every heart here, Lord God, a courage, a might, a strength to be led by you into the victories that you have for these people, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Some of you are feeling just a peace settle in your heart. I feel like that's God coming and giving you that very thing that you've asked for. Just allow that to happen. Enjoy it. Just, just acknowledge it and say, thank you, God. Some of you just feel an excitement happening in your heart. That's, that's God just invigorating and calling to life his gifts in you just receive that and say yes god and last of all i would like to pray for a second group of people if you're receiving from the lord just keep receiving in any way you want to you just keep in that place but if there's anyone here and as i've been talking you you've questioned whether you're actually in that covenant of love and you might have been around church For a while, you might have been doing good things, but deep down you're unsure as to whether you've really made that decision, as to whether you've you've chosen God when He chose you. You're not entirely sure if you're in that covenant of love. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand because I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone here? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? That's so great. Thank you for your courage. It's very easy to be in this covenant of love. You just make a decision to choose God and we can just do that right now and pray. And I'm gonna ask all of us to pray together in support of these people who've raised their hands. So can we all pray this together, church? Lord Jesus, I come and I accept you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. 
I turn away from running my life my own way and I acknowledge you as the supreme ruler of my life and I receive your grace to be changed into the man or woman that I'm meant to be. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Great people, can I ask us if we can all stand? And those of you who raised your hands, I'm going to just ask you as a, as a way of showing that you really meant this, I would love you to walk out of your seats and come here to the front so I can lay hands on you. And just a way of you acknowledging before people what you have done. If you wouldn't mind coming out of your seat and coming to the front, I'd really appreciate that. Come on up. Give them a hand. So proud of you. So great. So great. Welcome. Welcome. So great to have you. So great to have you. Church, can you just extend your hands to these men? Lord, we thank you for these great men. We just, we just pray that you would fill them with your presence, Lord God. Fill them with your presence. We, we, there we go. There we go. Thank you, Lord. More of your presence, Lord. Fill them again, Lord. Ah, thank you, Lord. We acknowledge these and we receive them in your kingdom. And we say, Lord God, for now and forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, doing your will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give them a hand? Men, don't go anywhere. You see at the back, Pastor Mike is waving. I'd love you to just go with him for two minutes. He's got some material he'd love to give you and just talk and hear your stories. So if can we give them a hand as they go with Pastor Mike so you can just head on down the middle aisle and, and find him at the back. Church, isn't God good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>